flailing and in trouble. And so uh, we, we've started doing that uh, for the last year or so. He just he'd say, okay, I need you to go take care of this church. I need you to go down and stabilize this church and get them where they can call a pastor. And so I'd go down and meet with the men of the church and, and meet with the church and, and I would uh, uh, stay with them until they could get stabilized. And so as that began to progress, uh, we, we began to discover there are churches all over the U.S. in that same predicament. For some one reason or another, they're without a pastor. They've dwindled down to about five adults. Their facility, for the most part, is paid for. Uh, but they have no pastor, and the church is dying out. And they're getting ready to close their doors. And so they need somebody to come in. Now, I'm just old enough and set in my ways. I mean, I know some of the churches I've been dealing with in the past, it's, it's not just that they don't have a pastor. they got other issues, too. But I'm set in my ways, and I'm looking at this crowd in here, and not everybody is young. I'm, this, this crowd is my crowd, Pastor. I'm just going to tell you. The only thing I'm jealous about your pastor, he's got way too much hair. You know, <laughs> a guy that young with that much hair. I, I used to have hair, okay? But, uh, but anyway, I'm sort of set in my ways, and I know what needs to be done. So uh, I've been in the ministry 38 years, and so uh, we're, uh, the Lord began to speak to our hearts, and, and so now my wife and I are going into what is known as church rescue ministry. It's where I'll go into a church that's just about gone, and I will stay there, whether it takes two months or two years, I will stay there until I get them back on their feet where they can call a pastor, and then I'll move on to another church. And... Uh, since word has gotten out that that's what my wife and I are going into, I will tell you this, that there is no shortage of churches to go to. Uh, we're getting a call about once every two weeks for the Saunders. We learned, we've been told what you're going into. We need you here, we need you now. But they do not understand that I've got to travel and raise a little bit of support, uh, financial support in order to do that. And so right now, there's four churches that are waiting for us. Each of the four think that they're the first one in line. Uh, and now we're starting to learn of churches here out west, down in the southwest. And so we're not limited to just back east. We're just going to go where we feel the Lord is leading us to first. And so pray with us about that as we make those decisions. I'm all about church planting. I, I served as, as 15 years as a church planter. Uh, we first went with the mission board. And uh, we planted a church down in, down in the islands. And uh, after we were on the island for about nine months, the, the island we served on, the first island we served on, uh, had no electricity, no running water, only one road. Uh, it kept you from getting lost when you went to go make visits. I mean, you can get lost in the bush going to visit somebody that lives way back in the bush. But if you just keep walking, you're going to come to water. And then all you got to do is just go around in a circle until you come back to where you're supposed to be. But, uh, but that's what we did the first uh, 13 years. And then uh, I had been flying for a living uh, prior to that. And so about nine months, ten months into our ministry down in the islands, a gentleman gave us a twin-engine aircraft, which we were able to use down on the island because there's no hospital on the island. And so we were able to use that as part of our ministry. And uh, the, the airplane was such a blessing to us. And uh, 
I, we were talking the other day. I remember one time we had, uh, uh, we would fly into the States every three months and load down with groceries. Uh, and so uh, I remember coming in one time, we, my mom and dad, uh, and I grew up in South Miami, so my mom and dad lived in South Miami. So we would fly in and Patty would do shopping for about three or four days and then we'd load the aircraft down and take off and go back down to the islands. Well, I remember one particular trip we were leaving, and I'll just be honest with you, when you watch that shoreline of Florida disappear behind the aircraft, and all you see out in front of you is water as far as the eye can see, it's, it's a little daunting when you, when you first start off, especially when it's your family on board. And I remember we were climbing out of 8,000 feet, and all of a sudden there was this, it wasn't an explosion, but it was just a loud pop inside the cabin. And uh, obviously, my wife heard it, and she was concerned. We, we, we've got our children on board and just loaded to the heels. That's a good southern term, loaded to the heels uh, with groceries. And uh, I remember years before, the gentleman who gave me this aircraft, he said, uh, the only problem I've ever had with the aircraft, he said, one time the emergency hatch, that's one of the windows, it just got sucked out and blew off blew out one day. He said, so the one that's in there now is a, a different one that I put in. So when we heard that pop. I thought we was getting ready to lose the emergency hatch. So I just told Patty, I said, just make sure everybody's buckled in and we're just going to have a little breeze in the cabin when that thing blows. And so we're concerned and I'm, I'm trying to decide what, what we've got to turn back and go back to Miami. And then I started smelling three little corn chips. <laughs> and actually, I felt better then because you know what? That was the first year that Frito-Lay began putting chips in a can. You know, like Pringles? And what had happened, climbing out of 8,000 feet, that foil popped and blew the top off, and there's Frito corn chips in the back of the cabin of the aircraft. So uh, we were happy, and to this day, we still love Frito-Lay. So anyway, so we were just thinking about that and thinking how the Lord had taken care of us down through the years. And so we're excited about this new ministry. For the past 13 years, as I said, I've been on staff at People's Baptist Church. They're just south of Atlanta, Georgia, and that is our sending church. And uh, they're behind us 100%. So we're looking forward to working with some of these churches and keeping these doors open. I do know that for every one church we start, we're losing four as Baptists. And uh, we're going backwards. We need to move forward. And so any church that we can keep the doors open on, I, I count that a success. Well, would you take your Bibles with me this morning? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Reve Revelation chapter 3. Once again, I want to thank the pastor and his dear wife. We had a wonderful meal at their house. Uh, uh, last night, and uh, they're just uh, perfect hosts and hostess, and just took such good care of us, and we're so thankful for that. And it's just great to see what God's doing here in Big Timber. Uh, we are also, uh, I know I've already told you I fly for a living, but I'm going to have to tell you I'm terrified of heights. I just can't take heights. I don't know if it's my old age or what it is, uh, but I, I'm scared of heights. And around here, when the GPS tells us, okay, take exit number so-and-so off the interstate, I started getting a little keyed up. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because 
You can be on a road and all of a sudden you start this climb and you look up at the top of the hill and you just see sky. There's no trees. And I'm thinking when we get to the top, that's going to be a sheer drop off. We get all the way to the top and it does look bad at first. And you can see way out over the valley. But the ground's just right there. It's deceiving. So uh, we have not, we were in Red Lodge last Sunday. The pastor wanted to take us up. Is that bear tooth pass or something like that? No, we don't do the passes. We we have enough trouble on the interstate because between us and Missoula, I think there's three passes we gotta go over. We don't even do well on those. So you can imagine how bad we are. And she's almost as bad as I am. Now, if you, I can take you to the top of the pass in an airplane. I'll roll you upside down and let you look at the pass while looking down. I'll do that for you, but I'm not driving up there in the car. I'm just telling you. So we're trying to get over this. Uh, this, this getting old is not for sissies. I'm just going to tell you. Would you look with me in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And this sort of tells you what we're up against as we go to these churches and try to, to get some new life breathed into them to keep the doors from closing. This is obviously the Lord speaking to one of the seven churches. This is the church at Sardis. And in verse 1 he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Thou art ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how that thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And so here we have the Lord speaking uh, to the church at Sardis. And one of the things that he says is found down in verse he's down in verse 3. He says he tells them, he gives them three things he wants them to do. The first one I, want, I just want to bring to your attention is he says remember. He wants them to remember several things. He wants them to remember back when they first trusted Christ. He wants them to remember uh, what it was like when they heard the gospel for the first time. He wants them to remember who brought them the gospel and how it was preached and how they trusted Christ as their personal Savior. And I think it behooves us, it's good for us from time to time to remember back when we trusted Christ. I was a 16-year-old teenager when I trusted Christ as my Savior. My dad was a preacher. and uh, But being, I was a 16-year-old rebellious kid, and being that my dad was a preacher didn't help me any because I, my goal in life was to prove my dad is a preacher but I'll tell you one thing, I'm no preacher, and so I lived an opposite life uh, in order to prove to all my buddies and all my friends that my dad might be a Bible thumper, but I'm not. And so uh, we were attending this small church. My dad had a, a, a separate ministry. We were attending this small church, and I remember the Sunday morning when the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. I saw my need of a Savior, and I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. Now, I had a lot of friends that were religious, but let me tell you something. One thing I have learned in 38 years of ministry, I don't want anything to do with religion because I have never found religion to ever help anybody. Religion is nothing but a set of rules and a set of rituals and a set of traditions 
that somehow, some way, people think if you're just good enough and you're just religious enough, God is sitting up there. He's an old guy older than me with white hair, and he has a set of scales in his hands, and he puts the good things you do on one side of the scales and the bad things you do on the other side of the scales. And if the good outweighs the bad, he says, come on to heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, he says, I'm sorry about that. You've got to go to hell. So that's what all my friends believe. But one thing I've discovered in 38 years of studying God's word is what I have is not religion. I don't preach religion. What I have is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. I don't place my faith and my trust in religion, in rituals, in traditions, in laws, in rules. I place my faith and my trust in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's He is the one who died on the cross to pay my sin debt, and that's where I place my faith and my trust. And God here is telling the church at Sardis there's some things you need to do. He says, listen, if you don't do these things, your, your church is going to die out. So the first thing he says for them to do, he says, you need to remember. You need to remember. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I get older, there's a lot of stuff I just don't remember. And about three and a half, four years ago, I had open heart surgery. And one of the medications they give you to help you to relax before they take you into surgery also and it helps you to forget what you're getting ready to go through. You can remember a little bit after surgery, but eventually it takes your memory. You won't remember most of what they've done to you. And so uh, I remember them taking me in because the stuff they gave me prior to that, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a bull moose. It just doesn't work on me. They'd already given me three times what they normally give an adult. And so... Uh, I'm going in, and they, they take you, and they, they put you on the table. They start strapping your arms down, and I'm going, hey, um, at some point in time, y'all are going to really put me to sleep, right? You're, you're not going to just leave me laying on this thing. I'm not going to wake up during this thing, am I? And so I was concerned about it, and uh, but obviously I didn't. They put me out. But uh, what it does is it takes so much of your memory, they can't control how much that it takes. And so, but I have also found that it really works to your advantage. Now, Patty knows she'll bring up some incident in the past, and I'll say, I'm sorry, honey, I, I just, it's blank. I don't remember any of that. But it works to your favor, too, because sometimes she'll say, look, I'm going to be late getting to the house. If you could go ahead and do the dishes and vacuum the living room, uh, I appreciate it. When she gets home, the dishes are still in the sink. The vacuum cleaner hasn't been plugged up, and I'll go, you know my surgery. I'm sorry. I <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good stuff sometimes. Yeah. But the Lord here is telling the church of Sardis, he says, listen, first of all, you need to remember. And then the second thing he tells them in this verse 2, he tells them to, to, to be watchful. To be watchful because churches, listen, if you don't think uh, the devil does not want this church to exist, he, he wants to see it destroyed. He wants to see it gone. And so constantly the wolves are encircling and watching. And so God here tells the church at Sardis in verse 2, he tells them to be watchful. Now it's evident from the context of the scripture that they hadn't Because he said, listen, you need to be watchful or else things are going to die. So they had, uh, apparently they had not been watchful and hadn't been careful about that. Then the third thing he says here in verse 2, he says, strengthen the things which remain. So he tells them to remember, 
to be watchful and then strengthen the things which remain. So they still had some great things about their church uh, that were correct and that were right and that they had stood for. They hadn't given that up. And so he says you need to strengthen those things which remain. And so I have discovered that most of those churches that, I, that have already called me and churches I've worked with in the past, there are some things that they are lacking. But let me just tell you, I was thinking the other day of things that a church can do without. Do you know a church can do without padded seats? I love a padded seat. As I get older, I like them even better. Uh, but a church can do without a padded, a padded seat or a padded pew does not make a church. I, I will tell you this, a church can do without air conditioning. Now, one thing I've noticed, for most people out here in Montana, y'all don't like air conditioning. I don't know why. But uh, a big old boy like me, I like air conditioning. And back in the east and in the south, you will not survive the summer. I don't know how I did it as a kid because we didn't have air conditioning. And I grew up in South Miami. Uh, we didn't have air conditioning, but I, at my age now, I, I like air conditioning. But to be honest with you, a church doesn't have to have air conditioning. A church doesn't even have to have indoor bathrooms. I, Patty and I, our, our church that we started, uh, it, when we first started, we didn't have indoor bathroom. We were the first church on the island to ever have an indoor bathroom. I just wish that when somebody was telling me, Brother Saunders, make sure you put a vent. Well, I put vents, but I didn't know you needed to go all the way up through the roof and put the vent on the top side of the roof. Nobody told me that part. I put it underneath the E. I didn't want to drill a hole through, through the socket and, and go up through the roof. Do y'all know what it's like when it's 98 degrees inside of a church building and there's no breeze blowing and the vent doesn't go all through the roof? It's, it's, it's pretty rough. But I'll be honest with you, church, church can do without indoor bathrooms. When Patty and I was dating, uh, no, after we got married, neither one of her grandparents had indoor bathrooms, and she's from Ohio. I remember when her grandfather finally put an indoor bathroom in, and he was so proud, he took me in. He says, look at this. Look at this. Watch this tub. He turned the water on. He said, you don't have to go out and get the water. You don't have to eat it on the stool. Look at this. We got hot water. And then he went over to the toilet. He flushed the toilet. He said, look at that. You don't have to go out to the outhouse in the wintertime. He was so proud of it. And I, we're sitting in there thinking, I mean, I was saying, man, that's nice. That's nice. And I couldn't imagine living without indoor bathrooms until, once again, we went to the mission field down in the islands. And guess what? No indoor bathroom. So, but I'm saying the church can do without. A church can do without this building, to be honest with you. The church is not the building. You are the church. But also thought about what a church can do without, but I've also thought about what a church cannot do without. And the churches that I that are calling me right now says, Brother Saunders, we need your help now. If you don't get to us, we're not going to make it. We're just not going to survive. There's not enough of us left. The building's paid for, but we can't even hardly afford to pay the light bill. So it's not that we're in debt. It's just that there's no hardly anyone left. We're down to five or six. Here's invariably every church that has ever contacted me, one of these three things uh, they've lost. And you cannot do that. Number one, church cannot survive without a shepherd cannot survive, not for any extended period of time. Cannot survive without a shepherd. I know about sheep. 
Down in the islands, nobody has cows hardly. They got sheep and goats. I like both of them. And if you fix it right, I can't tell one from the other. But there's a difference between sheep and goats. You could be going down the road at night. I'd be driving a van, taking people home, and goats would be out in the road at night. You blow the horn, they'll scatter to the wind, just like deer. Sheep, on the other hand, they don't move. Sheep will stand in the road. You've got to drive up to them. You've got to just nudge them a little bit with a bumper. Once you begin to nudge them a little bit, they'll clear out of the road a little bit. Isn't it amazing that the Lord compares us to sheep? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Sheep are pretty dumb. Goats at least don't get out of the road. But sheep, no, they're just going to stand there. You got to nudge them. You got to nudge them. And I've discovered that the churches, a church gets in trouble when they don't have a shepherd. A church has got to have a shepherd. I know churches with deacons, but no shepherd, no pastor. But a deacon and a pastor is two different animals. I hate to use that analogy, but they're two different animals. A pastor thinks different than a deacon. And the, and the Bible does not say that a church has to have deacons. It doesn't. But it does say it has to have a shepherd. It has to have a pastor. There's a reason for that. So when, the, when there is no shepherd, I have discovered that just one by one. Sheep don't normally just disperse all at once. They just begin to drift. They begin to drift. And so number one, a church cannot do without a shepherd. Number two, uh, the church cannot do without the Word of God. This is what we base everything on. This morning, the pastor was teaching Sunday school, and he was just going verse by verse by verse because this is our guide. This tells us, this book right here tells us why we do what we do. It tells us who we are. It tells us why we need to trust Christ as our Savior. It tells us how to live a Christ-honoring life. It, it is our roadmap. It tells us everything that we need to live a victorious Christian life. And a church cannot do without the preaching and teaching of God's Word. So, the first two things, the church cannot do without a shepherd. The church cannot do uh, without the Word of God. And then, the last one that I've noticed is a church cannot do without a passion for lost souls. You've got to be concerned. You've got to have a passion and be concerned about others that do not know Christ as their Savior. I didn't say uh, uh, that you, know, you got friends that are religious and you know they're good people. I know a lot of good <coughs> religious people, but they do not know Christ as their Savior. We've got to have a compassion and a passion to be able to tell others about Jesus Christ. We ought not to keep it to ourselves. We, we need to share it with others. And so I've discovered that a church, if they lose their pastor, any combination of these three, if they lose their pastor, if they lose, uh, the, if they don't have the word of God being preached and taught, or number three, if they lose their passion to win the lost, to get the gospel out to others, if they lose one or any of those three things, it's pretty much over. Those are the churches that are contacting me. Now here's what this tells me, and I'm going to be done. A church cannot survive without a shepherd or a pastor, cannot survive without the Word of God, cannot survive without, uh, without a passion for lost souls. 
And God here is telling the church of Sardis, he says, listen, you need to remember, remember who told you the word of God. You need to remember all that. Number two, you need to be watchful. And number three, you need to strengthen the things which remain. The reason why he was telling them you need to be watchful and strengthen the things which remain because he understood. He understood the satanic attack that every church goes through. And I'm going to tell you, when the wolves begin to circle, the wolves always look for the weakest link. They just look for the weakest link. If you've ever watched that National, the National Geographic uh, programs where, you know, the lions are in the weeds and the high grass and they're watching, they're looking for the one that is the weakest link in the herd. That's the one they're going to single out. That's the one they're going to take down. But I want to challenge all of us, including myself and my wife this morning, is this. I have determined at my home church, at People's Baptist Church, I am not going to be the weakest link. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in all the services. I want to be under the preaching and teaching of my pastor as much as possible. I do not want to be the weakest link. When somebody comes and they begin to create division in the church, I want to make sure that I'm not the one they pick out. I want to make sure I'm not the weakest link. Because that's the one the wolves always pick up. There are some great churches across our country, great churches across America. At one time when I was in college, where I went to college, that church ran 12,000 Sunday school. When I was in college, I went to college in 1974. They were running 12,000 just in Sunday school. That wasn't even the worship service. That church is no longer in existence. It died. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. How can a church running 12,000 dwindle, dwindle, dwindle until it's gone? People say, well, because a lot of times people look at this and both songs, the church you attend, your daughter running 600, that would never happen in church church. Well, I was a member of a church running 12,000, and it doesn't exist anymore. It can happen to any church. I want to challenge all of us this morning. I do not want to be the weakest link. I don't want it, I don't want it to fail from my watch. I do not want to be the weakest link. And God help us. As we look at this passage of Scripture, may the Holy Spirit challenge our hearts not to be the weakest link. Would you bow your heads with me for just a few moments? I'm so thankful that you paid attention so closely. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate the pastor allowing me to be here this morning. You may be here this morning, and I don't know who are the regular people who attend. Maybe you're here and you're a visitor. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You already heard me make a reference to religion. One thing I know about religion, it sure doesn't save anybody. It, it, it doesn't bring forgiveness of sins. I, I, I've known religious people my whole life, and they just have no hope. The one thing that I know that I do have is hope, and my hope is in a person. It is not in a religion. I've trusted Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary to save me from my sins. I'm so thankful for salvation. Because that is what gives me liberty. It gives me the freedom from sin. It's my faith and my trust in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, but you're interested in it. I trust that, uh, that you will ask some questions 
You can see me after the service or see Pastor or however he sees fit to do the invitation this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you know, you say, Brother Saunders, I know Christ is my personal Savior. But Brother Saunders, I want you to know I'm, and I'm settled in my heart that I'm not going to be the weakest link. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the reason. It's not going to be on my watch. I'm going to be faithful. I trust the Lord will challenge you to be faithful in your life this morning. Father, thank you for this time together. And as the pastor comes and closes the service out, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the word of God and how it challenges our hearts. And I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts this morning in only the way that he can. Thank you so much for the word of God once again. Father, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed. We certainly don't want to close the service without giving folks an opportunity to be able to do business with the Lord. This is where we have just simply what we call our time of invitation. Folks, if God's dealing with your heart, this is your time to spend some time with Him. Maybe the Lord has impressed upon you to make sure, as He said, that, that you would not be the one to be. Thank you.
thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Uh, Brother Saunders is going to be sticking around for a little while, so if anyone has any questions about what it is uh, about his ministry and what the Lord's called him to do, that we be available to you. Um, certainly, a, certainly a needful thing. You know, that's not a figure that um, that is for, and I have heard that before, boy, that, that one out of four churches in America are closing every year. Is that right, Brother? One out of four every year? Or one we plant. That's what it is. For every one we plant, we lose four. When you look at some of the numbers across America, uh, our, our walk with the Lord is not going the direction that it ought to. And I believe God will be able to use him in this morning. So, all right, well, folks, that's all we have for you today.